Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our understanding to hear your word, to receive your word. And I pray that your word would enlarge our hearts and enlarge our faith and enlarge our walk with you. Father God, we praise you, we honor you, and we pray for the anointing of your Spirit upon me who speaks your word and upon all of us who hear your word. Be exalted today here in this place, O Father, and be glorified in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles, please. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. You also can follow in the inserts in your bulletin. Also, I remind you that there are pages at the end of your bulletin for you to take notes if you so desire. And if the Lord speaks to you in any way, I invite you to write it down and then use it to pray later on and ask the Lord for guidance in hearing his word. So the passage today, beginning with verse 22, begins with these words. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And um, I think I have a map for you here. We know that Galilee, uh, that Jesus began his journey in Galilee. He spent most of his ministry time in Galilee. And when he had received word uh, from God that it was time to fulfill his mission and his commission, he began to travel toward Jerusalem. Uh, he did not necessarily want to go through Samaria. There had been issues between Samarians and Jews uh, for a long time. Uh, and most Jews avoided Samaria uh, if, any, if, if they could. They would just avoid Samaria. In, journey, in the journey of Jesus, I don't think it was so much that he wanted to avoid Samaria, although that may have been part of it. But I think he also wanted to join with the Jews that were traveling toward Jerusalem for Passover. And so if he's going to join the different caravans of people uh, coming from all over the, the world that connected with uh, Israel or this area, uh, they would have to come through the eastern side of the Jordan River you see the Jordan River pretty much connecting uh, the Sea of Galilee with the Dead Sea at the bottom. And so Jesus is somewhere on that area that is listed there as Perea. Jesus is somewhere in that area. Now, the, the, the biggest question that I would want you to understand, because if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand many other things, is 
we know that he's on his way to Jerusalem. But my question that I want you to ponder for a moment is why is Jesus going to Jerusalem? Why is Jesus at this particular time in this particular Passover going to Jerusalem? And, and some of you may already know because I've mentioned it in other sermons, but Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to offer himself. He's on his way to Jerusalem to offer himself. He knows it. He knows it because it's been the plan of God from the very beginning that his son would come into the world to give himself as a ransom for many. To give himself. Not because the Romans had power over him. He was giving himself voluntarily and willingly. He's giving himself to ransom sinners. It is his will. It is his father's will. So he's going to Jerusalem to offer himself. To offer his life. To offer his life for those who because of their sins and because of their sinfulness had separated themselves from God and created an enmity with God. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to offer himself for all of us who in one way or another had separated ourselves from God or separate today ourselves from God. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to substitute himself on the cross for us. We are the guilty ones that deserve the death that Jesus got. We are the guilty ones that should have heard the son cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We would have validly not had to say that because we would have been guilty. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to climb on our cross, on our instrument of death, and substitute himself in our place. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to be the sacrificial lamb of God for the salvation of mankind. To take the sins of sinners upon himself and to give sinners the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that was his. He takes our sins. He gave us his holiness. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to do that. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to reconcile God and man. But there's something else I was praying this morning. This morning I, I always get up at 5 and I prepare myself and so on. And then I take some time for prayer. And I was kind of going in my mind through the sermon. And I think the Lord also showed me something that I had not seen when I prepared the sermon. And I think this is important because Jesus is teaching us about the narrow door in this passage about the narrow door. And I want to say to you that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to open the door. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem 
to open the narrow door of grace. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to open the narrow door that whosoever believes in him would be able to enter through those doors. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to open the door of salvation. That's why he's coming to Jerusalem and he leaves Galilee and he's coming to the holy city. Now, somewhere in this journey there, an individual comes up to Jesus with one of the strangest questions you might find in all of Scripture. Not an unnatural question, but, but he asks this very strange question. Lord, will those who are saved be few? Will those who are saved be few? And if I were to put it in my own language, I might say that the guy's question is, how many will be saved at the end of time? How many will be saved when the judgment time comes? Will there be many? Will there be few? Lord Jesus, give us a number. That's how I read this question. The question is, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And the first question that I asked myself was, where's that coming from? Where is that question coming from? And the natural thing is this man living in the first century, when he looks at his world around him, he sees that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. When you look at first century Palestine and the Romans in control and the zealots doing all kinds of things and, um, and, and how life was being lived in the first century, it is a natural question when you looked at your world to ask, Lord, are there few that are going to be saved? Where's this question coming from? It's coming from observing the world in which he lived. It's probably coming from any news he has received about the world. Even though the news media was probably not like it is now. There's, there was no internet. There wasn't the prolificity of, of newspapers and, and telephones and all kinds of things. People still heard news about what was going on in their world, whether the Parthians were beginning to rise up, uh, whether uh, the Greeks were rebelling in that city, whether the Jews uh, were rebelling and the Zealots had attacked uh, some caravan. Uh, news did get around. And when this individual hears about world news, his own world news, it prompts the question, Lord, we're in trouble. Will there be few that are saved? I also thought that if this individual was observant, he may have observed how Jesus himself is being opposed at every turn and how few are those people that actually followed Jesus. I mean, if he looked around, 
how many were following Jesus out of the whole crowd of people going to Passover, if he even looked at Galilee, at Jerusalem, at Judea, if he looked at all the people in his immediate surroundings and how many of them were actually turning to Jesus, he, he would ask the question, Lord, is your kingdom actually working? I mean, how many are you reaching? Lord, will there be few that will be saved? I mean, you and I probably have some similarities of questions. We may not pose it this way, but I wonder if you ever ask yourself, when Jesus Christ comes again in his second coming, what's he going to find in this world? When we looked at our nation alone, we almost can say to ourselves, even the United States alone, we're in trouble as a nation. When you look at the whole world, you might say to yourself, will there be many or will there be few that will meet Jesus in the clouds? Lord, how many will be saved? It may be a natural question that we ourselves may ask ourselves. Maybe you don't ask the question. Maybe you have a statement to make and say, not very many, not the way I see the world, not the way I hear the news every morning or at night and shooting over there and killing over there and the mother that killed the children and the father that did this and, and the war over here and the war over there. And you say to yourself, this world is in deep trouble. We are in chaos around the world. Maybe you don't ask the question. Maybe you have a statement that says not very many are going to be saved when Jesus comes. I don't know, but it's a valid question. Lord Jesus, will those who are saved be few or many? One of the things that I find, that I find wonderful about this question, it's, it, it implies that the door is still open. It implies, in the question of this man to Jesus, it implies that the door is still open and people can still be saved, whether many or few, but people can still be saved. There is, uh, 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 in the question, there is an idea that, that still the door is open to as many as would want to come in. It is implied in the question, will there be many or few saved? The interesting thing is that the Savior is standing right in front of him. Salvation is standing right in front of him. It is to Jesus, Messiah, that he's asking the question, will there be many or will there be few? I want to remind you of two things that Jesus said. In John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says that he is the door. He says, I am the door of the sheep. Whoever enters through me will go to green pastures. And then in chapter 14 of John, verse 6, he says, no one comes to the Father 
except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, you know what this implies? It implies that the door is narrow. There's only one way into the kingdom of God. There is no second way. There is no back door. There is no jumping over the fence. There's nothing like this. The, the narrow door, the narrow gate, and the difficult road into the kingdom of God is one way only, and that's through Jesus Christ. Will there be many? It all depends. If they come through Jesus, they are in. If they try to come by their own effort, they are out. How many will be saved? And here's the thing that I find fascinating. He asked Jesus, will there be few that are saved? And Jesus doesn't answer him, does he? If he wants a number, Jesus is not going to give him a number. Jesus is not going to speculate on how many people will enter the kingdom or how many people will be excluded. But here's what Jesus does do. Jesus tells the man that he needs to strive to enter through the narrow door. Because one of the things about this question is, when he asks, Lord, will there be few that are saved? It's like he's pointing to other people. He's pointing away from himself. Will there be others saved? Will there be many or few saved? Will then people be saved? Jesus says, look at yourself. Don't worry about whether there be many, whether there be few. Ask yourself the question. Strive to enter through the narrow door. You have responsibility to enter yourself through the narrow door. That's Jesus' answer. He's not going to give him a number. He's going to call him to look at his own life and to strive to enter through the narrow door. Now, if you get that, let me give you another little thing that I think it's important. That word, strive. Strive to enter through the narrow door. The Greek word that is used by Luke in writing these this words of Jesus, the Greek word is the word agonisesde. Agonisesde. The word agonisiste is where we get the word to agonize. To agonize. Have you ever been in agony? Have you ever experienced agony? Agony because you're about to lose your job? Agony over someone very ill in your family? Agony... Have you ever agonized about a major something happening in your life? Have you ever agonized at the death of someone near you? 
Have you ever agonized over the struggles that you see someone in your family going through? Have you ever agonized about anything in the world? Have you ever agonized? I think we all have at one point or another. And let me tell you one thing about agony. When you're agonizing about something, you can't forget it. When you are in agony, either because somebody's told you you have cancer, or when you're in agony when something major has punched you in the gut, you can't forget it. You're going to think about it all the time. It's going to be in your mind. It's going to be in your heart. It's going to be in your prayers. It's going to be in your soul. And you cannot forget it because you are in agony. The word agony implies you're in pain. There is pain. There is something big happening in your life, and you are in agony. Jesus is saying to us that we have to agonize about entering through the narrow door. We have to be in agony about the kingdom of God. We are to be concerned about us entering the kingdom of God. We are to be concerned, preoccupied in pain, not only that we enter, but the people we love enter the kingdom of God. We need to agonize that the door is narrow, and many, many people will choose a different way or will not try to come in through him. We need to experience, according to Jesus, agony over entering the kingdom. It needs to concern us. It needs to make us think every day. It needs to be so important in our life that everything else takes second place to the agony we feel over entering the kingdom. Agony that preoccupies us, that concerns us, that causes us to tremble, that causes us to pray about it, that causes us to seek, that causes us to, to do whatever is necessary. Jesus says to this man, I'm not going to give you a number. I'm going to tell you you need to agonize about entering through the narrow gate. You need to agonize about it. It needs to be important. Christianity, I've said this to you before, Christianity is not for cowards. True Christianity is for men and women of valor that are willing to put everything else aside to make the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ the priority of their lives. We here, too many of us, live very comfortable lives about salvation. We take grace for granted. Grace is not to be taken for granted or made cheap by a life that doesn't agonize over the kingdom of God. We are very relaxed about our salvation. We're very relaxed that we accepted Jesus, that's it, we're in. No, there is responsibility that comes from grace. There is a cost to discipleship. We need to agonize over entering the kingdom of God. It's not about church attendance. It's not about religiosity. It's about following Jesus as his disciples in a serious, serious, intentional manner.
feel agony over entering through the narrow door. The door that leads to the kingdom is narrow, and the road is difficult, and it can cost you everything. And in fact, it must cost you everything. It must cost you the pursuits of all other endeavors. It must cost you the pursuit of riches. It must cost you the pursuits of pleasures. It must cost you the pursuits of any and everything in order to have an agony, an appropriate agony for the kingdom of God. It needs to be the priority of your life and everything else fall beneath it. The problem is not with the door being too narrow or the road being too difficult. I think the problem is that we want it easy. We want a salvation where Jesus does everything and we have nothing else to do. We want a salvation where Jesus climbs on the cross for us and we receive the benefits. We want a salvation where we come to the cross and says, I believe, I believe, and then we go live like we're not believers. We want it easy, and Jesus is saying that's not how it works. If you really appreciate the grace and the love and the mercy of God, it will require that you give yourself to the work of the kingdom. Not to be saved, but because you are saved, it is required that you live in a way that brings glory to the Lord. The problem is not with the road being too narrow or too difficult or the gate being too narrow. The problem is that we want it easy. We want it easy in America while the rest of the world is suffering for their faith. We want an easy Christianity, a simple Christianity, an I believe Christianity without responsibility, without requirements, without work. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying to this man that we need to have an appropriate agony and pain about entering through the narrow gate. It will take sacrifice. It takes sacrifice. It takes effort. And it may take everything else. All your pleasures, all your conveniences, it may take everything. You all know that we are reading the book Pilgrim's Progress. We've made a number of announcements about Pilgrim's Progress. And about two weeks ago, I came to a passage in Pilgrim's Progress that really touched me very much, and I thought how appropriate for this sermon today about the narrow door and the difficult way. And in this, in this passage in the book, Pilgrim, Christian, comes through a gate, a wicked, uh, a, a, a wicked um, gate, and he comes to the door of a, a house where it's occupied by a, na- a man named Goodwill, and he knocks at the door of Goodwill, and it takes several times to knock, and then Goodwill opens and pulls him in, 
And in the conversation, and before he sends them on to continue his journey, this that I'm going to read to you from Pilgrim's Progress takes place, and, and I think it's, it's very telling. So Mr. Goodwill says to Christian, he says, Do you see this narrow way? This is the way you must go. It was established by the patriarchs, prophets, and Christ and his apostles. The way is straight. The way is straight. Follow it, for this is the way you must go. Straight? Christian says. You mean to tell me that there are no turns or bends, no detours in the way by which a stranger may lose his way? Oh, yes, there are many side paths and connect, that connect to this narrow way, but they are crooked and wide. You must distinguish between the right way from the wrong way by paying attention to which is straight and narrow. How do you know the way to the kingdom? Because it is the way of Jesus. But in your journey through life, there's going to be many bends and many concerns and many invitations to go in different ways. Anything that separates you, anything that takes you away from the straight and narrow ways of the gospel are not of Christ. And they will not lead to the Father's house. The ways of Christ is the narrow door and the narrow way, the difficult way. Any other path will get you into deep trouble. How do you know the difference? Follow the one that Jesus followed. Follow his footsteps. The other roads have multiple road footsteps, multiple, because many people have traveled those other ways. The way to the Father's house is the way of Jesus Christ. It's the way of the gospel. It's the way that is straight and narrow and difficult. But it is the way of Christ. It is the way of the cross. Agonize to not deviate from your journey. Because you can lose it all by going in the wrong direction, your own direction, somebody else's direction, some sign on the road, some passion, some I'll give you everything if you follow me, which is what Satan said to Jesus in the temptation. The way of Jesus is straight, it's narrow, there's no deviation, it is the way of the gospel, and it is the only way that leads you to heaven, to the glories of God, to life eternal, because there's only one way, and that one way is Jesus Christ. He has paved the way. He opened the door of grace by going to the cross, and he invites you on that journey. And you say to yourself, perhaps, Oh, let me tell you something I read J.C. Ryle said, which I think is very beautiful. J.C. Ryle said, Hell itself is nothing but truth known too late. Bishop, Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle, 
Hell itself is nothing but truth known too late. Hell is full of regrets. Hell is full of repentance. Too late. Too late. Jesus then gives a parable about the master of the house, God, shutting the door. That narrow door one day will be shut. And then comes the people knocking. Let me in. Let me in. And what we hear back is, I don't know you. But we saw you, and we ate in, in, in with you, and we, we, you know, we did this, we did that. And Jesus will say, I don't know you. Depart from me. Because you claim you knew me, but you did not. You came communion with me, but you did not follow me. And then he tells the Jewish people that are there that they're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets and the patriarchs entering the kingdom of God, and they will be excluded. That's like saying to us, you Anglicans are going to be excluded at the end. Or let's say, because if Jesus was saying it to us today, he might say to us, all you Americans, you're not making it. You live in the most prosperous nation in the world. And all the comforts that you experience, the people of Africa and South America, the ones dying in China, being imprisoned in China, those dying in the Middle East, those will come and you Americans will be kicked out of the kingdom. How does that feel? Because that's what the Jews felt when Jesus said, that they will see Abraham and Isaac and Moses and David and all those people in the kingdom and Gentiles coming from the north and the south and the east and the west and the last will be first and the first will be last, but you will be cast out. It doesn't feel very good. Strive to enter through the narrow gate because you will be surprised if you don't enter through Jesus you will be surprised that you think you're in and you may not be. There is one way. How straight is straight? How difficult is the road? There is but one God. There's not two gods. There's not three gods. There's not multiple gods that can have different directions into the kingdom. There is but one God. There is one Lord Jesus Christ. There is one Lord, and only through him do you enter the kingdom. There is one sacrifice, one cross, one blood that was shed, one blood capable of removing all your sins. Not the blood of animals, but the blood of one who died willingly for you. There is one gospel message. There is one way to the Father's house. And there is one faith. That's how narrow this door is. There's only one way in. And actually, it's not Anglican or Catholic or Baptist or Lutheran or Seventh-day Adventist. It is Jesus. It is Jesus for all people, forever and ever. It is Jesus. 
And Jesus required that we follow him and to take our own cross. The way may be difficult, the door may be narrow, but it is the only way that leads to eternal life. And we need to agonize. We need to agonize about entering through that one door. It should concern us. It should consume us. It should be what we think about always. And we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus and not to the world or to our own way of thinking. There is no other way. And my way is not the way. So I need to submit to the way of Jesus because only he is the door of the sheep. So I want all of you today to have it clear in your mind that we need to have an agony about entering the kingdom. It should consume us. Being saved should not be taken lightly. The death of Jesus should not be taken lightly. The way of Christ should not be taken lightly. It's not, I take it or I leave it. If you leave it, you know what happens. If you take it, you know what happens. We should not take the salvation of other people lightly. We should not take the salvation and the faith of other people lightly. If you present the gospel and they reject it, it's on them. If you never present the gospel and they go to hell, it's on you. Don't take salvation lightly, yours or anyone else's. There is one way to the Father, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you need to be in agony over your salvation, over entering, and over the salvation of other people. Don't take discipleship lightly either. Learn from Christ. Learn the Word. Let the Word change you. Let the Word transform you. Let the Word teach you. Let the Word lead you to Jesus. Don't take your faith or your salvation lightly. It's too important a matter. To just sit complacency or complacent to let it happen. You need to agonize. You need to be in agony about the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Hear with clarity. Stand with me, please.